Right, so I want you all to turn to Acts 17.11 in your Bibles. Do that. Um, So Acts 17.11 says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So at at the top of your notes, put that, so put Acts 17.11. So I want you all to be like, I want you to um, be like the Bereans of Acts 17.11 and to later go and do your own research and check out the things that I preach on. Right, so yeah, this, the title for my sermon is Suffering for Christ. Um, right, so ever since AD 33, Christians have been persecuted for their faith. First by the Jews, then the Romans, and then the others who came after. All of the apostles, bar John, were killed for their faith. We should not fear persecution, as it is just part and parcel of being a Christian. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Stephen, from Acts 7 verse 59 to 60, was the first martyr. And they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with this sin. And when he had, when he had said this, he fell asleep. One story of a persecuted Christian was a lady named um, Blendina. She was martyred in 177 AD in Gaul, or modern-day France. The Christians were restrained in the worst part of the prison, in dark and cramped places, and many of them suffocated there. Uh, Some of them were placed in stocks, others were placed on a hot iron seat where their flesh was burned. After enduring torture, 48 Christians were taken to the amphitheatre to entertain uh, entertain the crowd. During the Roman holiday, by being thrown to the wild beasts, Blendina was one of them. Though she already uh, endured numerous tortures and treated with in- inhumane brutality, she was then suspended on a stake and to taunt the wild beasts. Though it was intended to terrorise her fellow Christians, her torture inspired them, for when they looked at her on that stake, it reminded them of Christ on the cross, who was crucified for them, and that everyone who suffered for him would enjoy eternal life with God. Amazingly, none of the beasts attacked her, so she was taken down from the stake and again cast into prison. On the last day of the contest in the amphitheatre, Blindina was again brought in with Ponticus, a boy of about 15. Every day uh, they had been brought to witness the sufferings of others and pressed to deny their faith and swear by idols. Ponticus died first, and Blindina remained the last. She had encouraged many others and saw them go on before her to Jesus. Now she was ready to hasten after them. 
she faced her death rejoicing as if being called to a marriage feast rather than wild beasts. The report stated, after the scourging, after the wild beasts, after the roasting seat, she was finally enclosed in a net and thrown before a bull. And having been tossed around by the animal, but feeling none of the things which were happening to her, on the account of her hope and firm hold upon what had been what had been entrusted to her, her communion with Christ, she also was sacrificed. Another example of a Christian being martyred was William Tyndale, who was martyred in 1536. He translated the Bible into English from the original languages. In early August 1536, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, degraded from the priesthood, and delivered to the secular authorities for punishment. On Friday, October 6, 1536, after the local officials took their seats, Tyndale was brought to the cross in the middle of the town square and given a chance to recant. That refused, he was given a moment to pray. English historian John Fox said he cried out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Then, when, then he was bound to the beam, and both an iron chain and a rope were put around his neck. Gunpowder was added to the brush and logs. At the signal of a local official, the executioner standing behind Tyndale quickly tightened the noose, strangling him. Then an official took up a lighted torch and handed it to the executioner, who set, it, who set the wood ablaze. One other brief report of that distant scene has come down to us. It is found in a letter from an English agent to Lord Cromwell two months later. They speak much, he wrote, of the patient suffering of Master Tyndale at the time of his execution. In our modern day, there was still persecution, especially among our brethren in the East, as we heard this morning. Um, Richard Wormbrand was, was imprisoned for 14 years in communist Romania, where he suffered mutilation, burning, and been locked in a large frozen icebox. His body bore the scars of physical torture for the rest of his life. For example, he later recounted having the soles of his feet beaten until the flesh was torn off, then the next day beaten again to the bone. He spent three years in solitary confinement. This confinement was a cell 12 feet underground with no lights or windows. There was no sound because even the guards were felt on the soles of their shoes. He later recounted that he maintained his sanity by sleeping during the day, staying awake at night, uh, and exercising his mind and soul by composing and then delivering a sermon each night. During part of this time, he communicated with other inmates by tapping out Morse code on the, on the wall. In this way, he continued to be sunlight to fellow inmates rather than dwell on the lack of physical light. For over 300 years, Christians in the West have endured unparalleled freedom. Having been blessed with a Christian heritage and Christian values, which made great nations like Great Britain and America, but this modern era where the leftist agenda has been pushed hard, 
those morals and values again eroded away at an astonishing rate. When once living together before marriage was a big no-no, it is now the norm. When once even no one when once no one even dared talk about homosexuality, now they prayed their perverse sin in the street for all to see. Once, when abortion was considered to be the murder of a child, now they demand that it is their right to kill the unborn child. As the Western world slips back into its paganism and restraints are removed even more, we will see more crazy stuff coming out of the woodwork in this mad world. Turn to Matthew 24... Verses 4 of 13. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he he who endures to the end shall be saved. The world has had many false uh, false Christs since Jesus' day, and they have indeed deceived many. There has always been wars and rumours of wars, but the frequency of these wars and rumours of wars has risen. We see kingdom rising against kingdom, which is happening more and more frequently. Nation against nation. The word for nation in the Greek is ethnos, which means, in the dictionary, a population group regarded as having a common descent or having a common national or cultural tradition. So that could explain the rising racial tensions we see. It could also mean a civil war, or it could just mean nations at at war with each other. Uh, famines and pestilences and earthquakes are increasing in frequency, but these are only beginning. Verse 10. We see the snowflake liberals being offended by just about anything, and they are betraying and hating each other, especially when one of, especially when one of their own is not being accepting enough. Many have been deceived by the false prophets that have risen up. We see lawlessness abounding, especially in America, with the Black Lives Matter riots. We also see that many people, we also see that many people who once called themselves Christian, i.e. Joshua Harris, name one, have fallen away. Back to verse 9. As we get closer to the day of the Lord's return, we should remember the words of Jesus in Luke 21, verse 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your eyes because your redemption draws nigh. I believe that our time of freedom is coming to an end and that we will soon be forced to choose a side, either conform to the world and live or stay true to Jesus 
and suffer greatly or die. Uh, in Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to kill both soul and body in hell. It is only a matter of time before the government brings in a hate law that makes preaching of the Bible illegal, and those caught preaching will be thrown in the prison. If that should happen, we should remember what happened to Paul and Silas in Acts 16, verses 20-25. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, uh, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns God and the other prisoners were listening. Now, to, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revel and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in 1 Peter 3 verse 12, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Depending on how you view the rapture, either pre-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib, we should hold these views lightly. To anyone who wholeheartedly believes that we will be raptured before the tribulation, I will ask you this question. What if you are wrong? What if, if we have to go through the tribulation, or part of it, would that cause your faith to fail? Questions to ponder. We need to be ready for Jesus to return at any moment, but we also need to be prepared to go through the tribulation and to be martyred if that's the way the Lord has planned it. So what I'm about to say next is just my own personal theory. So Acts 17.11, remember that. In Matthew 5 verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. So then, if we as Christians are the salt of the earth, and salt preserves things, what would happen when all the salt is removed? Turn to Genesis 18, verses 16 to 33. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness, 
and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away, and from there went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? For the lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And Abraham spoke to him again and said, Suppose there be forty found there. So the Lord said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. And Abraham said, Let not the Lord be angry, I will speak. Suppose thirty be found there. So the Lord said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And Abraham said, Indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So, so the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. And Abraham said, Let not the Lord be angry, I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as he had finished, uh, as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham pleaded with the Lord for Sodom's sake. In a city of possibly thousands, um, God couldn't find ten righteous. It was only Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. God couldn't destroy or judge Sodom until the righteous had been removed, and only then could he pour out his wrath onto the city. So if we are like Lot, living in the worldly Sodom, and the world has killed off most of the true believers, there won't be enough salt left to preserve the world from judgment. So the few remaining believers are raptured from the world just before God's wrath comes. Again, this is just my own personal theory. If the pre-trib rapture turns out not to be the time the Lord calls us home, and we live to see the Antichrist and all the evil that goes with him, and we're dragged off to the guillotine to be beheaded as part of the multitude of martyrs that come out of the Great Tribulation in Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17, which I'll read now. After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying without, with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the elders stood, stood around the throne and all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honour, power and might. Be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger, no, they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun will neither strike them nor any heat. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So brethren, we should not fear. If we look at our temporary lives here on earth, uh, if we look at it from an eternal point of view, then being a martyr for Christ will be just a moment of pain. But we will receive an eternity of gain through our Lord Jesus Christ, who having left his glory in heaven, came down and putting on a human body, suffered and died on the cross for our sin, so that through him we may become children of God. Um, get a couple of followers to pass out the communion emblems, please. Um, and I'll be reading from Isaiah 53, if you wanted to follow along. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should dis desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has uh, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We, like all we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who, who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, and for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave of the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. 
yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a great portion, a portion with the great. He shall provide the spoil with the strong. He shall, because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So, Lord, I just um, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice all those years ago on Calvary for us wretches. Thank you, Father, that um, you came down and took our sin, so that you can so you, re- um, you can redeem us, Lord. Father, I just pray that um, any words that are from my own foolish intelligence will just be forgotten and that your truth will be the one will be the thing that remains, Lord. Father, I just ask that you please bless the rest of our fellowship and the rest of our day. And I just thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.